where we speak with experts and influencers in marketing, content, and brand publishing. We bring you the latest trends, tips, and insights so that you can help your brand tell its story and connect with its audience. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Brand Storytelling. And today, we're going to talk about the importance of having a content strategy and some easy steps that we can all take towards setting our content marketing objectives. And joining me is none other than the Chief strategy officer for the Content Marketing Institute and another great friend of Newsmodo's, Robert Rose. Now, Robert and I spent some time traveling here in Australia and across Asia almost a year ago, and I was truly inspired by Robert's presentations and your approach to what you describe as the seventh era of marketing. It's a thrill to have you on the show. How are you, mate? I'm doing fantastic, mate. How are you? It's always a pleasure to hear your voice, and uh, thank you very much for the kind words. I really appreciate that. I can't believe it's been just on a year since we last spoke. <laughs> no, time is flying by for sure. Content marketing has gone from strength to strength in 12 months now. Tell me about growing up in the United States. They tell me that you were described as a storyteller from a very young age, Robert. <laughs> That's right. Well, I mean, it's one of those things, right? It's a story I like to tell, which is a little irony there, but it's when I was in the fifth grade, so um, you can read into that, I guess, probably six or seven, eight years old, I got sent home. And I was sent home with a note to for my teacher. Um, and the note on the little report that my mother got said, Robert likes to tell stories. And my mom thought that was just the funniest thing she'd ever heard in her life was that, that, you know, because it was true, of course. <laughs> yeah. So I, I sort of, I've sort of have leveraged that into a career, which has been a very, very nice thing indeed. And you had a lasting memory of the movie Avalon. Now, I must admit, I had to have a look at this movie. It's a little obscure. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us, what was it about Avalon that had such an impact on you growing up? So it's a wonderful movie. Um, if you have not seen it, and I couldn't, you know, more highly recommend it. I guess what it spoke to, because it, it came out at a time when I was just coming into uh, adulthood. Mm -hmm. And when the movie came out, um, it's about a family's journey. So it spans, I don't know, 80 or 100 years of, of, of this man's life from the time that he leaves um, a country and comes to the United States and basically builds his entire family um, around this idea of television. And so he starts off with a television store um, and really grows it and it becomes a big thing and his sons inherit the business. And it's a story about a family. But at the very end of it, what the the really impacted me just just so wonderfully, and it's still to this day is one of my favorite scenes in cinema, is the main character who is the guy who actually came, who's now you know a great great grandfather, and he's on his deathbed, and the kid, the grandkid, and his mm. child are now sitting on his on his end of his bed, and a theme throughout the entire movie has been this guy telling his story. And he starts mm -hmm. out the story, he says, in 1920, I came to America. And he tells the same story over and over again to the point that it's a running joke with the family's like, all right, we get it enough. 
But here he is on his deathbed, and he's telling this story for what's probably the last time, and his grandson is sitting at the end of the bed just wrapped with attention. But the little kid, his great-great-great-grandson, is sitting there playing a video game and not listening to the story. And to me, that was just such a huge – it was such a huge impactful moment for me because – we 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 the threat of losing the sort of storytelling ability and our ability to to trans transcend over time the ability for us to tell those stories is such an important thing and it was it was just really impactful for me i think it's a it's a skill and a and a talent and a and a way of living that i think is just truly important to us as humans and i think that must go towards your presentations which again are brilliant on the seventh era of marketing the experiences you're very very kind (laughs) because it's it's it is all about creating experiences and how do we create experiences tell great stories with so much noise online now how people's attention is so divided creating that experience becomes so much more difficult so how would you say to our listeners out there to get that impact what's the key well the key is in in is in getting you know this is a muscle we don't get to exercise very often as marketers you know we all have at some point tried our hand at creative writing whether it's a novel or a screenplay or a poem or a song or whatever we we get creative about the way that we create content even if it's educational and, you know, we're a professor and we're teaching somebody how to do something or whatever it is, we've created content in our lives to deliver some value to someone we're trying to deliver value to. And that's the real key because as marketers, as communicators, as PR professionals, whatever it is, brand managers, our job is really to create the content that simply describes the product or service we're putting into the marketplace in ever clever ways. And we're good at it. I don't want to pretend that we're not good at it. We make brilliant ads. We make brilliant brands. We describe them in wonderful ways. But those don't, that content doesn't deliver value in and of itself. It's not valuable content to educate someone, to entertain someone, to inspire someone, to tell a story. And if we can start to really switch our lens by which we create content as a the means of delivering value to that consumer, that customer, that person we want to deliver value to, that's the real key. And it's whether it's a creative poem or it's an inspirational piece or it's a educational, um, you know, that teaches somebody how to do something better or leads them into a change that they never thought possible. Whatever the thing is, mm. it is valuable in and of itself. It becomes an experience. It becomes an experience that they have that they take with them regardless of whether they buy your product or service or not. And guess what? They probably will because they have affinity for you now. Speaking of affinity, we must wind back the clock again just for a moment here Robert I don't <laughs> want to let I don't want to let this get away Wrangler jeans versus tough skin jeans now I've done my research and the people around you growing up tell me that you're a tough skin jeans kid much against your will to <laughs> yes, your chagrin sadly. the Wrangler kids are out there what was it about the experience of Wrangler jeans v tough skin jeans that oh, made well, you just want to be one of those cool kids in the Wrangler come on well so okay so I so and this will this this will you know this will be Good for the Australians out there. I grew up in <laughs> Texas. And so I grew up on ranches and with cowboys and with, you know, that sort of mentality. I mean, I grew up in the country, um, you know, as, you know, I wore a cowboy hat for many years. And, and, and to the, the thing to have when you were a kid was boots, really nice boots 
and a pair of Wrangler jeans because the girls love Wrangler jeans and um, and Wrangler jeans were cool. They were what the cool kids wore. The the all the rodeo guys wore Wrangler jeans. Basically, it was the greatest thing ever. And my mom, for whatever reason, because she said I grew out of them so quickly, she wouldn't buy me Wrangler jeans. She would only buy me these tough skin jeans. And the tough skin jeans were made by Sears. And they had these giant patches on them that would, you know, over the knees where you would typically tear out the, the holes in your jeans. And it was, it was awful because they were awful colors and people would make fun of me. It was, it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it amazing the things that we remember? And, and that all goes back to that impact as a, as a child that that brand had on you. I love that story. And it's such a great example of that moment of inspiration. Now you're traveling the world. I know that you're heading off to Milan in the next couple of months. Why are you so passionate about content marketing and brand storytelling in 2016? Well, I think it's got the, you know, look, I I think without apology, I think content marketing has the potential to change business. You know, we, you know, I was having this debate with one of the big analysts in the, in the space, you know, uh, in in the sort of technology and marketing and business analyst space today. And, And he was saying, you know, you, you always, you know, you're sort of all in with this content thing and you think it's so big. And I, you know, is it, you continually say that it's going to replace everything. And I wanted, and I corrected him and I said, no, no, no. I said, it's not that content marketing replaces everything. Content marketing is something that is additive. It is a methodology that is infused into your existing advertising communications strategy. Now, I personally believe that content marketing has the power and may ultimately be something that is much more than marketing. It's a business strategy. It is something that will transform the face of business and how we actually operate and go to market with products and services. So I think it's it's a big idea that will ultimately integrate itself into something that's much larger than even marketing or branding. And so from that perspective, because I love doing it and because I find such joy in the work, it just makes sense that I, you know, and, and you know, with all do you know, all transparency, I'm biased here, right? I love doing this. And <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I have a passion for it. And so I just really believe it can be transformative. And that's why I have such a passion and love running around the planet telling, talking about it. You sure do. Now, we are going to focus on the content strategy, as I said at the top of the show. Both Robert and I will be speaking at Content Marketing World in Cleveland in September. Robert, just quickly, what can we expect out of this year's event? Oh, it's going to be huge. Uh, it is going to be just an amazing event. I mean, we're expecting, I'm hoping for 5,000 this year. We'll wow. see if we get there, but it's 5,000 people. I happen to know, I have some inside information on some of the uh, music and what's going to be, who's going to be there. And while I can't say it yet, I'm not allowed to say it. It's going to be fantastically fun, interesting. The number of speakers, the number of, Joe just literally sent me today um, the number of brands that are speaking. It's just unbelievable. The number of brands, world, global um, you know, hugely recognized brands. I think there's 40 of them that are going to be speaking at Content Marketing World. So it's learning from the best. It's, it's, it's having a great time. It's just going to be an amazing, you know, it's going to be an amazing week. Well, I just locked in my tickets and I cannot wait to get there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Now, 
Now, before we dive into the serious stuff, let's uh, have a quick quiz. So, Robert, I'm looking for some very short answers from you. We only have one minute to get through ten questions, and your time starts now. Are you ready? I am ready. Let's do this. The seventh era of content marketing is? Uh, creating great experiences. Why? Because that is the only way we can differentiate in the market today. The best branded content of 2015 was? Uh, Baby Center, Johnson & Johnson. Question four, content in 2016 should be? Uh, about quality, not quantity. The best region for embracing what you do is? Australia. <laughs> Thanks for that. A tip of the cap to Australia. Your last book that you either wrote or read was uh, the end of uh, the, the the end of competitive advantage. Read Gunter McGrath. Journalism is uh, a growing profession that is very exciting. Donald Trump. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> I love it. The laugh says it all. Investment in content should be uh, increasing. And news moto is awesome. <laughs> All right, that was the Mad Minute with Robert Rose. Now let's get stuck into the serious stuff. I want to talk about a few things that are said to be the biggest influences on our content strategies this year. That is mobile consumption, rich answers in Google, and much more. But firstly, let's introduce the founding aspects of content marketing strategy. That is, even though there is no universal template for a content marketing strategy, what things should it include? These points are also in the CMI website for developing a content strategy too. So for anyone who wants to pick that up, it's online and it's well worth a read. Now, those points are your business case, your business plan, your audience personas and content maps, your brand story and your channel plan. Robert, perhaps you can elaborate on these points for all our listeners and give a little bit more, I guess, context to what people should be focusing on with their strategy this year. Sure. And so, you know, given our time, what I'll do is, is just sort of wrap all of that up into one answer, which is, you know, one of the biggest mistakes that I'll see a, a brand make when looking to content marketing is, and we just talked about this, which is looking at it through the classic direct marketing lens. And so what we end up doing is creating just a number of ad hoc assets, you know, and you can call those blog posts mm -hmm. to white papers, to webinars, to whatever. And we throw them out into the marketplace as a means of supporting direct marketing efforts. We, sh we you know, we use them as creative assets to support advertising or direct marketing um, initiatives that we might have. Instead, the idea of content marketing at its core, because when you hear about all of the success successes out there, what you hear about is a collection of assets. In other words, the, the, it's not the blog post, it's the blog. Mm. It's not the article, it's the magazine. It's not the white paper, it's the resource center. And so when we're thinking about building a strategy, we're not thinking about building individual bricks. We're thinking about building something that is worth subscribing to. A, a resource center, a differentiating resource center that will differentiate me in the marketplace as an educational facility, a digital magazine that will inspire me, that I want to subscribe to, not because of the content I got, but because of the content I'm going to get. That's when you've created a subscriber. When you've created a subscriber, I give you a piece of content. Then you give me your name and your address and your phone number because you're so excited about the content you got, you can't wait to get another. Yeah. And that's when we've created something that's worth subscribing to and worth as, as an increasing value asset over time for the business. And so that's what I would say is the summation of all of those pieces together. So it's that body of work over time that creates your content brand. 
That's right. It's a, that, that's a great way to put it. You put it much more succinctly, and that's exactly the way to put it. <laughs> okay, so now let's go over the things that are going to really change or affect the content strategies that are going on this year. Now, something I know we've been discussing a lot at Newsmoto is the rise of mobile consumption. A Comscore study actually from the U.S. found that mobile use accounts for at least uh, 54% of digital consumption and of course, that number is, of course, growing rapidly. So this really indicates that the business and content producers need to start thinking mobile first. And if they're not already doing that, they need to be thinking about it for at least this year. Do you have any tips for those wanting to review and improve their content from a mobile consumption perspective, Robert? Yes, I do. And I guess the, the, the biggest one would be to not fall into the trap that mobile is a different design. Mm. Um, mobile is, you know, simply, simply having our website or simply having our content platform be responsive is not an answer. Yeah. Mobile is a, is a means of behavior. It is a, you know, it is, it is a consumption behavior, not a platform. And so when you look at mobile from your content strategy, think of it in that way, because just as a, a very tactical example of this, if someone is looking for your information, your presence on the web over a mobile phone, their need for the front page of your website that talks about how many awards you've won and how many, you know, how many your executives are the best ever is not top of mind for them. Mm. So think about what is the experience you're trying to create on a mobile device or a mobile, more appropriately, a mobile consumption behavior and what information or experience can you create that will that will trickle down into everything you're doing, right? So from the blog you write to the website you create to the emails you send and to the apps you develop, all of that is about what does my customer want to do and how do they want to interact with my experience that is related to my brand in a mobile way. And if you start thinking about it in that sense, it changes really everything you're doing from a mm. content creation process because it's no longer about just making my regular website mobile capable. It's about writing and creating something that is mobile optimized. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mentioned rich answers and the fact that an increasing amount of Google searches um, results in around 20% at the moment are yielding rich answers. Now, this is a, a really new area. Um, uh, we're all still wrapping our heads around it, obviously. Can you talk a little bit about this and, and what it means for publishers or brands? Yeah, I, you know, it, so to the extent that I really understand it, you know, what you're talking about here is the knowledge graph, yeah. um, that, uh, that, that Google is developing where when you put in a question or you put in a search query, Google will just answer it for you. You know, you can do this now with things like, you know, what, what time is the next movie going to show or what mm -hmm. time is, you know, what, how long does it take to fly from LA to, you know, Melbourne? And you can do that and you'll get the answer right there. You don't have to go to a website. The answer just comes up on the front page of Google. Now, how does that apply to brands? Well, the content that they're pulling that from in many cases are sites. They are, they are, they are sites that are well answered and or well trafficked and rank well in the Google algorithm that actually pull that content. Now, of course, they're pulling most of that content from things like Wikipedia and those sorts of things. But you can start to think about your content being a source of that answer, because if they click through on that answer, where are you taking them? And thinking about the experience that those customers will have once you can start to leverage that to some degree becomes a really interesting way for you to leverage questions that your customers may be asking right. that you can answer. 
And that's a, you know, it, it, it's an opportunity there. The, the other thing that may be the other side of that coin, which is taking up that screen real estate. And Google literally just announced this week that they're taking out the, uh, the right. Well, they haven't announced it, but it's well known yep. that they're going to be taking out the right rail Google ads to accommodate mobile means there's less screen real estate for both the ads and for both organic search results. And so getting to the top of Google is important, mm. but perhaps even more important is of the traffic you do drive, what is it you do when they get there? Yeah, I love that. That's such an important point. Now we talk about social um, and how fast that's all changing as well with Facebook instant articles. How can this kind of development um, affect us as content creators and publishers of great content? Well, it's a, you know, it's a, ultimately it's a, to me, it's about, uh, you know, as I like to say, great content marketing takes a village, right? So it is, it is truly an, an institutional effort by our company. And so many times now what I find is, is that many of the businesses I work with are really working at a product silo or a functional silo level and don't really communicate with each other and quite frankly, don't connect the experiences that they're creating. This product blog over here and this product blog over here and the company website and the press newsroom and all of that are just disconnected islands mm -hmm. where people can visit. And quite frankly, we're not learning as a business. We're just learning at individual silo levels, and it's not really helping. And so to the extent that we can build a centralized process around how we create, manage, distribute, and promote content and use that to cross-functionally and cross-product, learn and optimize our the experiences our customers are having, we will be, we'll be so much better off. Yeah. Now, obviously, we're not going to be able to map out a content strategy in a 20-minute podcast, but I want to go to an example of a, a great piece of content marketing and a great strategy that our listeners can potentially jump across to and, and really check out as, I guess, a, a benchmark for what we're trying to achieve here. And I'm talking about the Xerox Chief Optimized Magazine. Do you want to um, let our listeners know about that? And, and I know you're a big fan of this as well. Um, and what is it that makes that so brilliant? Sure. It, it's, it, and it's just a, it's just a wonderful wonder. I mean, it goes back to our, you know, the earlier part of our conversation, just talking about great storytelling, you know, so Xerox's Chief Optimist magazine is something they've produced for quite a while, both print and digital versions of, of this. Mm -hmm. And what I love about what they did here was they didn't sort of take the usual approach of a technical thought leadership, you know, here's the nuts and bolts of how you should be using technology. And I'll, no, they didn't do that. They actually took what was normally be a very dry, very technology driven, very technical topic and actually made it inspirational by talking about how CIOs in this case mm -hmm. were really chief optimist and needed to be looking at the future from an optimistic perspective, which then they translated into an editorial strategy that really talked about the wonderful, positive, interesting things that were happening in technology that CIOs needed to know about that were about happy things, that were about good things, positive things. And it really, it, I mean, the fact that it really drove higher leads, drove better engagement, created a number uh, of successes for them is wonderful. But I think most important to me was that they differentiated the brand of Xerox with this magazine and just really just drove a lot of success. It's, I, I love it as an example. 
Yeah, and it's really about telling a different story. And as I said, for all our yeah, listeners exactly. who, who want to see a really great piece of content, that that's something to check out. Now, we are starting to wind down, but before we do leave you, I, I want to know what drives you. I want to know where you look for inspiration and, and what next. So, well, let's see. I mean, for inspiration, I, you know, from a business perspective, mm. um, you know, because, you know, keep it there as we wind down here. So I'm a huge fan. Of, I love Clayton Christensen. I'm a, I'm a fan. Fanboy, unapologetically <laughs> fanboy of Clayton Christensen. I mentioned earlier uh, the end of Competitive Advantage. Rita Gunter McGrath. She anything she's written, I could not recommend more highly. I I think the two of them are just amazing. Ted Levitt is another one. Theodore yeah. Levitt. Um, he's passed away now, but his thinking has been seminal in the shaping of the way I approach from a creative side. I you know. Look, I'm an English lit, uh, you know, graduate. So, you know, Joseph, <laughs> Joseph Campbell, Campbell yep. storytelling, you know, Mark Twain, uh, you know, I mean, the, the list goes on. It's just in terms of the authors and, and, and that, that inspire me every single day. Yeah. And I think you make a great point that you don't really care about what the company is, what the company does. You want to help people tell their story. And that sounds very rewarding. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and to, and to clarify that, basically what I tell people is I, I, you know, at the end of workshops, which comes a little bit of a surprise at the end of a workshop, I'll say, listen, I don't care about the company you work for. I, you know, if you can go make them successful by learning right. this stuff and by taking this back into the business, I think that's amazing. If the, if you can become a rock star in your business by bringing this process back and innovating the business to around this, that's wonderful. What I care about is making you innovative, is making you competitive and is making you a marketable marketer in the new world that we live in. And so if you can't do it in the business that you're working in now, go do it somewhere else. And that is a perfect way to wind up brand storytelling for another week. Robert, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I really can't wait to see you in Cleveland. And until then, everyone, keep following Robert online. He's doing spectacular stuff. And no doubt we'll be speaking with you again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. To find out how quality content can empower your brand, head to newsmoto.com.